Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I'm so happy to be with you. It's a gorgeous day here in Tyler, Texas. I know that's not the case all over the place, but the sun is always shining. If not the S-U-N physically, the S-O-N is always shining, beloved. And he loves you, and he wants you to live for him fully. I have an article to read to you today that's from Crisis Magazine. I have an online subscription to Crisis. It's it's absolutely wonderful, trustworthy. And I just received an email that I'd like to read to you before I read that article. It's from a gentleman. I won't mention his name. Um, He did send it to me at Mother Miriam at uh, the Station of the Cross. And um, I'm, I'm guessing it's okay with him that I read it on the air. And he titled it, Keeping Sunday Holy for the First Time, with three exclamation marks after it. And it reads, Hi, Blessed Mother Miriam, I am a trucker. In Mexico, I started listening to you two months ago, and I have been binge listening to all your podcasts, uh, past podcasts. Congratulations on everything you do, and I thank you with all my heart for teaching about keeping Sunday holy. As soon as I heard your reasoning on this subject, I realized you spoke the whole truth and made a commitment to talk to my manager, ASAP, about giving me Sundays off. This is a trucker, Sundays off. Praised be God, they accepted it. And I have been keeping Sundays for three months now, and my life has been changed for the better. Not only do I feel new spiritual graces falling in me, but I also have a lot more order in all my week, and the divine providence has provided abundantly in every aspect of my life. It's hard to understand how I could have been sinning so greatly against the first and third commandments by not giving the Lord his holy day. I feel many graces and spiritual progress were withheld in my life because of this grave sin. And some of you listening may say, well, it's not grave, it's not so bad, it only happens to be one of the Ten Commandments. We break the Ten Commandments. That is very grave. Also, my whole week works much better now. I love this. I love this gentleman, what has happened to him in his true desire to follow God. He says, also, my whole week works works much better now because instead of putting off chores and cleaning for Sundays, I now organize myself to do shopping, cooking, and cleaning during the week. This is a single man writing. And I know I should have everything done by Saturday. And that just gives me so much more peace and tranquility, even if I sometimes have to rush to clean and cook on Saturday evening and night. But I am loving it. Sundays, I do not work, won't do business, or buy anything. Sundays, I now dedicate to God. Family and rest, I'm single, so I focus on my nephews, cousins, and spiritual sons. And then he has a subtitle, Crossing to the U.S. for Latin Mass. 
also, I think, I think you will be happy to know that I crossed from Mexico to the USA on Sundays for Latin Mass at a fraternity of St. Peter Parish. I'm so blessed. And to add to the wonderful graces, a friend of mine gave me a beautiful St. Joseph Daily Missal from 1956. I love old books. I was worried that my Liturgy of the Hours does not match up with the traditional calendar, but now I can do the traditional reading for every day. And he says, regarding ideas ideas for Christmas and Advent, I was coordinator for a youth youth group and uh, that closed because of the pandemic. But I still have them in a Facebook messenger group. And for Advent, I propose to them to share every day a five-minute audio from the Liturgy of the Hours. So we would take turns, and every day one of us would record some readings and prayers from the Liturgy of the Day. It was beautiful. And even if they were shy at first, as teenagers are, they pulled through, and it was very joyful. And I think God gave us many graces for Christmas with this small devotion we did. Also this year, I gave um, piñatas to my young nephews, but I was thinking that for next year, God allowing it, I would go to each of their homes when Christmas Advent starts so we can make our very own home homemade traditional Mexican piata. I told them about it, and they loved the idea. I think this will be a very fun activity and will allow me to talk to them about Advent. And also, since the piñata can only be broken in the nine days leading to Christmas, I'm sure that having that piñata around their homes during all Advent will remind them that we are in a special time and preparing ourselves for the God-child. By the way, he says, in my city, Mexico, we have presents both on Christmas and Epiphany, and my mother gave us the tradition of keeping the three magi away from the Holy Family in the nativity scene. Good. And as small children, we would enjoy walking them a few steps every day until they reach the God-child on January 6th. God bless. Praise be to God. What a beautiful email. What a beautiful email. And I read it, beloved, because to make the point that it's never too late to live for God. It's never too late to change our lives and that God showers his blessings on us when we do. He's a God of order. Um, The Ten Commandments are not um, 3,500 years old when they were given. They are relevant. They are actually the law of God written on our hearts When God created us, the commandments are in our hearts, and uh, simply all God did was write them on tablets of stone. The article I want to read to you is called A Hill on Which to Die. And I wanted to read um, Esteban's email first um, to give an example of what happens through the grace of God, what may happen in our lives when we take our faith seriously and change. This is an article that will challenge them. Will the defense of marriage be the hill on which we Catholics die? And you know my comment now that Our Lady of Fatima said to 
uh, Lucia, the, the seer, one of the three seers, that the final battle will be for marriage and the family. We are in that now, beloved. It's not coming. We are in it. Every single thing that the government is trying to do and, and in great measure has succeeded in doing. Uh, same-sex so-called marriage, there's no such thing. Gender ideology, um, um, euthanasia, assisted killing, uh, mercy killing, um, uh, I forget all that's going on. It only has one goal, to destroy marriage in the family. Because if you destroy marriage in the family, there's no vocations, there's no church. If there's no church, there's no priest, no priest, no sacrifice, no church, no world. The family is the key, beloved. So if you say, all right, mother, stop harping on the family, I'm not going to do it because people listen all the time, but they go on with their lives as normal. And this email showed us the example of one who did not go on with his life as normal. He made tremendous sacrifices. As a truck driver, he was not embarrassed to go to his employer and say, I want Sunday off, it's God's day. Let me read this article now. Will the defense of marriage be the hill on which we Catholics die? Of course, that rather depends on how willing we are to stake everything upon a truth that however much we believe it to be grounded in divine revelation is nevertheless rejected by almost everyone else, including great numbers of our fellow Catholics. This article is written by Regis Martin. Um, which, he continues, which would be Joe Biden's, Joe Biden Catholics, wouldn't it? In other words, you know something and you reject it and you live life as if God doesn't exist. He said that would be being a Joe Biden Catholic. Countless cafeteria Catholics, as it were, whose numbers, to judge by current approval ratings, appear to be legion. Millions. Are we prepared to stand against these people for the sake of a mere marital bond? Do we really believe, in other words, the teaching of the Catholic Church concerning the union of one man and one woman, that it constitutes a sacrament indissoluble in the sight of God? And will we, in mounting its defense, be forced to go all the way to the cross? If so, we should find ourselves in some pretty good company. Historically speaking, that is, we'd be surrounded and sustained by a great and mighty cloud of witnesses. Will that consolation, I wonder, be enough to steal the nerve in the face of the world's rejection? Once upon a time, not so very long ago, that was the hill on which not a few of our co-religionists were willing to die. It's a toss-up whether it still functions that way for us today. For our ancestors in the faith, it was either apostasy or death, with no middle ground in between. One thinks of St. Thomas More, for example, the brave and resolute Lord Chancellor of England, whose defiance of his King Henry Tudor and the entire corrupt establishment um, suborned into doing his bidding and cost him his head. Beloved, 
uh, there's our break. We will continue with this article when we come back from the break. And at the second break, we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart. And we'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, The Catholic Church is just out of touch. It's going to have to change if it ever hopes to be relevant in today's world. But G.K. Chesterton says, We do not need a church that will move with the world. We need a church that will move the world. It's not that the church has to change, it's that the world has to change, and it's up to us, as the church, to change the world. That is the call to conversion. We don't convert the world by giving in to it. Chesterton says, The world is converted by the saint that contradicts it most. I guess that explains why in an age that worships money, sex, and power, the most influential woman in the modern world was a tiny little nun taking care of the sick and dying in the streets of Calcutta. Want more than a minute? Visit Chesterton.org. Are you holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-866-628-2277. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we have uh, just a f- oh, 10 minutes or more till our second break, after which we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails. Right now we're reading an article by Regis Martin uh, from Crisis Magazine Online, came out yesterday, um, titled A Hill to Die On. And the subject is marriage. Will we live our faith to the point that we'd be willing to die for it? And I'm going to tell you, beloved, we will not live for a faith that we will not die for. We will call ourselves Catholic, we'll be lukewarm. But if we're not willing to die for our faith, to live the truth no matter what, no compromise, no matter what, we will never honor God. And we will never know the beauty and the freedom and the depth of the grace and the peace that we have in the truth. Regis Martin continues, Indeed, not only were Thomas More and others like him willing to lose their heads in defense of the integrity of Christian marriage, the Church herself, including especially the Holy Father at that time, was prepared to lose half of Europe on account of um, 
an adamantine refusal to gratify the greed and lust of one English monarch. You know that was Henry VIII. How disproportionate the Pope's gesture must appear in today's Catholics, whose attitudes have been shaped less by the catechism than by the culture. Of course, if you regard Rome as having been historically retrograde on the matter, imagine the salutary shock you'll get when the example of Israel comes up, most particularly in the person of John the Baptist, her greatest prophet. How tolerant of divorce was he? Didn't he get himself thrown into prison, followed a year or so later by execution, all because of a rebuke? delivered to Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee? What exactly had Herod done to warrant so stinging a rebuke, divorcing one wife in order to marry another, who had likewise divorced her husband? Sounds like one of the afternoon soaps, doesn't it? Regis Martin says, defending marriage these days would seem to be a hill, therefore, on which not so many are prepared to die. But why should that be the case? After all, there really isn't anything more deserving of defense than the oldest institution in the world, one which God himself invented, inserting it first into the order of nature, followed by its elevation into the order of grace. What else have we got going for us if not a God entirely on the side of love? Has he not gone so far to identify himself as love? God's eros, Pope Benedict reminded us, is not only primordial cosmic force, it is the love that has created man and that bends before him as the good Samaritan bent before the wounded man, victim of thieves who was lying on the side of the road. If that's the energy source upon which human love depends, why wouldn't everyone wish to plug in? Which is permanent, indissolubly true and binding, or is it at all? Besides, what else is there? God is the absolute and ultimate source of all being, Benedict wrote. But this universal principle of creation, the logos, the primordial reason, is at the same time a lover with all the passion of true love. What more could human love ask for? It is nothing less than life with God, who is himself pure, unchanging, eternal love. Is it not here that we see the outline of ultimate reality, that behind all the appearances we find the real meaning of being and his name is Jesus? Who is, to quote the final line of the Paradiso, l'amour che, I won't, I, I won't uh, uh, say this in its original language, um, the love that moves the sun and the other stars. That is the force that will move the hearts of men and women joined to one another in holy matrimony. What lover would not wish for a fulfillment along those lines, the very lines of divine love itself? And what could be more natural or necessary to the maintenance of a functioning society than the fidelity which marks relations between married men and women who quite literally find themselves in love? For a society to insist that they honor the promises they first made to each other is not tyranny, therefore, but truth-telling, 
What Chesterton has called the ideal of constancy is not some sort of yoke mysteriously imposed on mankind by the devil. It is rather, as all true lovers will be first to admit, a yoke consistently imposed by all lovers on themselves, the enemies of true love, he tells us. Hold on now. The enemies of true love have invented a phrase, a phrase that is a black and white contradiction in two words, free love. That's an enemy of true love. Have invented the phrase free love, as if a lover ever had been or ever could be free. It is the nature of love to bind itself, and the institution of marriage merely paid the average man the compliment of taking him at his word. Modern sages offer to the lover, with an ill-favored grin, the largest liberties and the fullest irresponsibility. But they do not respect him as the old church respected him. They do not write his oath upon the heavens as the record of his highest moment. They give him every liberty except the liberty to sell his liberty, which is the only one that he wants. If sex is the catalyzing event between two people, the natural progression of which leads to the altar, why should not we all have a vested interest in seeing marriage survive? Which can only happen, of course, when it is seen and upheld by all as permanent as nothing less than the record of their highest moment. Sex meaning between a man and a woman. The catalyzing event between two people. The natural progression, not intimacy, beloved, outside of marriage. The natural progression of which leads to the altar. Why should not we all have a vested interest interest in seeing marriage survive? Which can only happen, of course, when it is seen and upheld by all as permanent, as nothing less than the record of their highest moment. That's the end of the article. Beloved, if you're struggling in your marriage, it is because of several reasons, of course, that are possible. One could be because you're simply selfish and you want to be served. Whereas at your marriage vows, you promise to love and cherish one another till death do you part. You are not to be served. You are to serve. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100%, 100%. And if your partner puts in minus three, you still put in 100%. And if your partner puts in 50, you still put in 100%. If you're going to respond in, in grief because he or she doesn't meet your needs, he or she doesn't understand you, uh, he or she is not what you want of a wife or a husband, um, you're on the wrong track. That's not what marriage is about. That's what a selfish life is about, who wants to be served. If you live your marriage as a true vocation man, You will lay down, read Ephesians chapter 5, you will lay down your life for your wife as Christ did the church. How did he lay down his life for the church? Was she obedient to him? Did she love him? 
uh, was she pure? She was not. She was not. Read the New Testament. After Christ showered his grace, after the church was formed, in Paul's first missionary journeys, where all of Corinth's uh, uh, evil, um, Corinth was saved and transformed. They were practicing incense and all kinds of, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm this, I'm that. He laid down his life for his church. As we lay down our life, you men, for your wife. That is your marching order. Not based on how she serves you, how she understands you, how Catholic she is, how non-Catholic she is. Zero. Your vocation does not depend on your wife. It depends on your walk with God. And if you fail, you are failing God first and then failing in your vocation. Women, the same thing. You need to submit to your husband as to the Lord. That's a huge statement. You're not submitting to a husband who's going to abuse you, who's going to lord it over you, You're submitting to a husband who will lay down his life for you as Christ in the church. But if your husband does not have that maturity yet, you are still going to submit to him as to the Lord. You don't have to agree with him. He doesn't have to be the smartest. He doesn't have to be the most spiritual. Those aren't requirements. Ephesians 5, you are to submit to him as to the Lord. If he requires you to sin, you will not submit. Because you're submitting as to the Lord. You would not sin before God. But you submit to him. If you think he's wrong, if you can lovingly try to persuade him, please do. You'll help him. But if you cannot, except for sin, you submit. It's the same with children to the parents. The parents, the children might be seven years old and you may tell them to do something and you may be wrong. And the seven-year-old might be right. But if you insist on him doing what you wish and he's right, but he disobeys you, then he's wrong and he has sinned. God wants us to live under the authority he's given. So children, if your parents are wrong, tough. If you think they're wrong, tough. If you are right in thinking they're wrong, tough. You walk before God and submit to him and know that God has given you your parents to lead you to heaven. What if they're wrong in what they tell you? As long as it's not sin, you obey. What good is that going to do you? It's going to form you into a character of heroism and strength, form you into meekness and strength, the strength of our Lord when things don't go your way. And you develop a character that doesn't complain, that doesn't whine, that doesn't fight, but that says, yes, Lord. And you walk with Lord God and you learn how to be a saint. There's the music, beloved, for our second break. And when we come back, we have an entire half hour together. And we will take your calls, your texts, your emails with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll-free number is one 877 511 5483 or email at mother at 
thestationofthecross.com. And again, you are welcome to um, call in anonymously. You're welcome to text or email anonymously with or without your name. It's not an issue for us whatsoever. God bless you. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for January 19th. Today we celebrate Pope Saint Fabian. Fabian was a Roman layman who came into the city from his farm one day as clergy and people were preparing to elect a new pope. A church historian reports that a dove flew down from above and settled on Fabian's head. Immediately, the assembled crowd proclaimed Fabian worthy and the church had its 20th pope. The 14 years that Fabian led the church were mostly peaceful ones since persecutions had subsided. Fabian was free to administer the growing church and oversee the construction of new churches. But good times for the church brought resentment among the pagans. One of the first acts of the Emperor Decius was to order all Christians to deny Christ in some official public way. Some Christians did succumb to pressure, but others, including Fabian, refused. There are no details of Fabian's martyrdom in the year 250, but there is evidence of it. In the catacombs of St. Callistus in Rome, the stone that covered Fabian's grave may still be seen. It is broken into four pieces, which bear the Greek words, Fabian, Bishop, Martyr. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. It's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Mary Live. I am live, and I'm thrilled to be with you. And this is our half hour together. Our phone lines are open, all of them. You're most welcome to call in with anything on your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. And whether you call in with your name or anonymously, it makes no difference whatsoever. Um, I don't want anyone to be stopped from writing or calling uh, because they don't want to be, they don't want to announce themselves publicly. That's not an issue. You're not a coward. You're pro- you might be wise in the, whatever the situation is. Just don't let that be a factor. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at thestationofthecross dot com. I'm going to begin with an email that a woman wrote in anonymously. Uh, which we read half of yesterday. It was too long for me to read the whole thing. And I'm going to warn you in advance, if there are children listening, maybe send them into the next room or away for this one email. Um, It's really awful. 
so why are you reading it, Mother Miriam? Because it's made me physically ill reading it, um, truly. But I'm going to read it because when one person writes in with this astoundingly horrible situation, I know that no one's alone. I know that there are other women, other priests, other people who have either committed such awful crimes and sins or who are victims of them. And um, one email speaks for sometimes hundreds of people. So, But it's awful. I'm warning you in advance. Um, Anonymous writes in, I'm so sick in every way over this. I am an adult woman and had an intimate relationship with a priest. I went to the church for RCIA during COVID. A class was not being offered, but the priest offered personal instruction. We became friends in the process. Let me tell you this, beloved. Don't become friends with a priest. Don't do that. I think I've said this before. People have said, well, you're friends with Cardinal so-and-so, you're friends with Bishop so-and-so, you're friends with Father so-and-so. I always correct them. I say, I am not a friend with a prelate. I pray for them, I honor them, I will sacrifice for them, but I am not their friend. They are an altar Christus. Now, Jesus has called us his friends. I understand that, which is very good to show the intimacy of his love and walking with us. But if friendship ever mars or muddies the waters between your being a lay person and the priest being an altar Christus uh, and the boundary that must be kept between us and between you and them as well, um, you, you have, uh, you're, in, you're in danger and so is the priest. Um, let me just see... Um, Okay, Uh, she continues, most of what we discussed was woke ideology and social justice issues, which she is a strong proponent of. Thankfully, I was doing a lot of reading and research into the Catholic faith on my own. Anyway, I now see how inappropriate this relationship was and a violation of boundaries. But at the same time, I did not, I think, due to my coming from the world and worldly values, which was very low, a low bar, and my dysfunctional personal history, I confided in him, told him all of my deeply troubled past. The day I entered into the church, he asked me to meet him the following day for a celebratory lunch and that I should bring a thank you gift of a nice wine for him. This is, this should have given you a hint. This is tremendously distorted. And that I should, um, he insisted we ride together and in the car he reached over and touched me inappropriately and told me that he wanted an intimate relationship. He said, priest, I'm sorry to be reading this beloved, but there are so many people who live in utter fear of their salvation and in fear of what will happen to them. And I want to read this because I know this woman is not alone. This is disgusting. This is horrible. Um, But I want you to know you're not alone, and I want to give you whatever help I can in answering this woman. The priest said priests have needs, and that if I said anything, there would not be a priest for four churches because there is a severe shortage of priests. He is the only priest for four churches in a large radius. 
He brought up systemic racism as well and how a complaint by me would be viewed. He also said that my husband, my husband, this is a woman who's married, he also said that my husband, family, and neighbors would find out about my past history and would be shamed. He said that priests have sexual needs and that priest celibacy is not dogma. I have a history that made me vulnerable, Mother Miriam. I went along with him and gave him sex and money or gifts he wanted for almost two years. I'm physically ill from this. After a year, I held my ground on no sex but continued to give him money when asked until a couple of months ago. I no longer answer his calls or texts. The second Sunday of Advent was the last time I went to church because he would corner me there and I just could not do it anymore. Early in the relationship, I refused to take communion. I refused to take communion because of our relationship. He insisted that I had to or folks would be suspicious and he stated emphatically that there was no reason why I should not. He wore me down. He pointed out that bishops and the Pope allow Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, as well as others, to take communion, even encourage it, because they really are not going against church dogma, even though traditional Catholics think these people are in mortal sin. I told the priest that this was a grave sin, and he responded that I was being overly scrupulous and made fun of me. The closest church where he is not the priest is about 80 miles one way from my house. I do not have the resources to go there. I, am in, I could stop and give a sermon on each sentence. I'm resisting so I could read through this email and give one full answer at the end. She writes, I am in such turmoil. In hindsight, I now know what I should have done when this first started. I should have immediately put a stop to it and called the diocese, but I did not and I cannot turn back time. I was so afraid and so confused, which I now see is no justification for my bad behavior and my complicity. I recognize that my faults and weaknesses played a huge role in creating this situation, and I am deeply sorry. I let God down, sinned greatly against him, and am in turmoil, turmoil because of it not to mention sinned against husband, family, community, and lastly, myself. But what do I, this is the last paragraph, what do I do now? Should I call the diocese, which is 90 miles away, and report this or something else? This is so wrong. I own my part in it and am not making excuses for my sin. How do I handle this mess, Mother Miriam? I feel so alone and I'm still terrified, but I know I must do the right thing. But what is that? Please help. Reading this email, you probably think that I am an idiot for allowing this to happen. Admittedly, I may be an idiot. I suspect so. But being a coward, lack of faith, and sinfulness play the predominant role. Okay, dear one. Um... I don't know if you've been to confession for this. If this priest um, is the only priest of four parishes and you have no one else to turn to, uh, there's no assistant priest, he, he must have a day off. 
um, I don't know what his schedule is, but there must be occasional uh, substitute priests that come and fill in on a Monday or or Saturday or a different day. I don't think this priest could take care of four parishes and, and not have a day to himself. So I would find that out if you could. And the day that he is off, go to whatever church the substitute priest is at and ask for a personal uh, appointment with him and tell him all of this and go to confession with him. If you have not been to confession, the first thing you must do, beloved, is go to confession and tell him everything you've told me in this email and anything else you think of and be absolved. Be absolved. Our Lord is waiting to heal you and to absolve you, to forgive you, to cleanse you and strengthen you and rid you of fear. Secondly, write the bishop of the diocese. Don't call. Write the bishop of the diocese a long letter and tell him up front that you are writing to report sexual abuse from a priest in his diocese over a period of two years. Explain to him exactly what you've said to me in this email. You can copy this email and send it to the bishop. It's perfect. And tell him that you have not told the priest who has abused you that you were going to go to the bishop or anything else because you don't even want to cross his path and that you haven't been to church since the second week in Advent. Write all this to the bishop and say, I beg you, Your Excellency, please write or call me or here's my email or something. I'm, I, I'm desperate on this and I must have a response from you. I must have guidance. And know that you will take care of this situation. And then wait a week or two to hear back from the bishop. Don't wait any more than two weeks. Put all your contact information, your phone, your email, your address in there. And, and don't wait longer than two weeks. And if you don't hear from him in two weeks, send another letter and say, Excellency, I don't know why you have not considered my previous letter to you alarming enough and serious enough to get back to me right away, uh, even as a shepherd, knowing the terrible state one of your sheep are in. But I will now forward my letter to you to the Holy See and, and let them take care of it. And then wait a couple of days for him to email or call you and then send it to Rome. Um, the priest who did this is on his way to hell. And if anyone says, Mother, you cannot judge him, oh, yes, I can. I don't know his woundedness. I don't know his heart. We can't judge someone's motives, in which case this is clearly evil, clearly evil to destroy a soul and, and meet his own personal dwarfed, warped needs. It's evil. He is on his way to hell. We can judge by a life people have. Read the letter to 1 John. He who continues in sin is, is on his way to hell, is not a Christian. Um, so if anyone, if this priest is listening or anyone knows this priest, um, 
his soul needs to be saved. He is on his way to hell. He must repent. He must be, talk about Father Frank Pavone, being laicized with no possibility of appeal. That's purely demonic. And this priest being allowed to destroy the lives of parishioners and still be pastor of four churches, being so warped in his spirituality and personality, not believing the doctrine of the church, going against the church, leading people into sin, teaching woke theology, he needs to be removed. He needs to be laid aside. He needs to be, he needs to repent. So I ask everyone listening to pray for the repentance that this priest to be brought to his knees, that he can go to his own bishop and confess what he's done. And dear one who wrote this email, don't live in fear. You have a Savior who loves you, who died for you, and who is waiting to forgive you of everything, that you should not live in fear. Go to any priest you can, And yes, if you have to drive 80 or 90 miles on a Sunday to go to another parish, you need to do that. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. The Catholic Drive Time, weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show, joining you on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. We'll see you then. May God love you. Praise be to Jesus. the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station, what it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. Um, 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live. I am Mother Miriam, and we are live, and I'm thrilled to be with you. Um, We have 10 minutes. This is our last segment. Our lines are still open. You're still welcome to call in, and there's time with anything on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Excuse me. We have an email from Rosa, and Rosa writes, Hi, Mother Miriam. Pope Emeritus Benedict's passing leaves a void on this earth. Yes, it does, and increases my concerns for the church. We all feel that way, Rosa. Can you please advise regarding lay people praying binding prayers through Jesus to protect the church? Praying binding prayers through Jesus to protect the church from Masonic evils. I feel that prayer always mitigates outcomes if it is God's will. That's good, Rosa. And and you can get the best prayers from Father Chad Ripiger, Auxilium, uh, Auxilianum Christinorum, I believe. And there's a book of, of uh, deliverance prayers, all of that. You can certainly pray that. If it is God's will, he will do that. Rosa says, I'm so concerned regarding the recent appointments of cardinals. So are we, dear one. Thanks so very much for your faith and work, Rosa. Rosa, you've summed it up well. We feel the same. We're concerned. What we can do is pray for the Holy Father, for his conversion, for the conversion of the cardinals he's appointing uh, who are not faithful to the church. Um for the conversion of unfaithful wayward shepherds all over the place. Um, pray for the good shepherds, strong, Cardinal Seurat, Cardinal Burke, Bishop Strickland, uh, Cardinal Mueller, Cardinal Zen, um, just so many, so many. Pray for those that are good, uh, that they will stand strong and not be worn down. Um, it's the time we're in, Rosa. It is the time we're in. It's the time that Our Lady of Good Success in the 16th century predicted would come. And everything that's been predicted in the scriptures and by approved seers of the church is coming about now. And um, we're living in it. It's difficult. But for me, dear one, I have said this before, I feel tremendously privileged to be living, to pick up Queen Esther's words, for such a time as this, because we have the gospel, the whole gospel. We have what the whole world needs, and we have it surely by the grace of God, not because we're faithful, not because of anything else. We do nothing. Uh, Even the prayer of the Mass says our ability to thank you in itself is your gift, dear Lord. What we have, we have by his grace. And so we continue to be grateful. We continue to thank him, and we live our faith in the world and not be of it. So, Rosa, if I see you walking around the street in tight jeans or a low-cut blouse or tight clothing or sleeveless dress or thongs or anything like that and looking just like the world, I will know you don't live your faith. I won't judge your heart. You may love God many more times than I do, but I will see that you're not a witness to the faith because you would be immodest. If I hear language from a man who says, I love God with all my heart, but his language betrays him, you see, we need to live as if it's true in everything we do and say and in everything we do not do and do not say. 
We have an email from Bernadette who writes, Dear Mother, my group of great school friends get together occasionally and we have a great time. The husband of one of them has had a debilitating disease. His wife finally put him in a nursing home because she was no longer able to take care of him. He was in the nursing home for a year and was of sound mind. I can only imagine how difficult it was on him and his family. The couple is in their upper 60s. He recently passed away and we were all very sympathetic. Recently, I was told that my friend drove him to Colorado so that he could commit an end-of-life suicide option, which is legal there. I do not believe most of the other girls in the group know this. I'm very disturbed about it. The couple is Protestant. My questions are, what happens to the souls of the couple? I'm uncomfortable about being around this woman knowing what happened. Morally, should I avoid being around her? I do not intend to discuss it with the other women in our group, good, because I don't want to cause any distress in them, and it would also be gossip. It's not their business. Thank you very much, Bernadette. What happens to the souls of the couple, Bernadette, are, is, is God's judgment of them individually and, and what their accountability is before God in their Christianity, which God alone knows. If they died in a state of grace, then they'll be in heaven. If not, then they won't. I have no idea what this woman knew. The fact that she had to travel to another state where euthanasia was legalized should have given her a hint that this is immoral, just as people travel to another state uh, to have an abortion done. Um, and so or to marry a so-called same-sex uh, partner. Uh, it, it's difficult to think that, uh, especially as a Christian, as a Protestant, that you would not know you're doing an evil thing. But I don't know that. So the the souls of the couple will be judged individually by God, not as a couple. And they will uh, be in heaven or not based on their response to the grace of God. <clears throat> Um, so you say you're uncomfortable being around this woman knowing what happened morally should I avoid being around her no if you're going to continue if you stop going to that group that's okay but if you're going to go to the group don't avoid being around her that's not good Um, if you're a friend of hers then make an appointment and have lunch with her and tell her that as a Catholic you want her to know not that you're judging her, because God is the only one who judges us, but that um, the way she chose to end her husband's life um, uh, is is morally wrong, and in our understanding before God is sinful. It's done. You're not looking to torture her soul, but... Catholics have a way to remedy this by offering sacrifices and going to confession. And I would just say to her, if you're plagued with this, if it's bothering your soul, you might be able to go to confession for it. At least go and talk to a priest. And if she, do it very lovingly. Don't assume she knows, but um, I think it shouldn't be... uh, 
I don't imagine that the Protestant world uh, considers euthanasia an option. End-of-life suicide, it's suicide. It's euthanasia. That's what it is. Call it by any name. It's euthanasia. And um, it would be very difficult to, to know that her pastor or any Protestant would not think that as murder. Talk to her gently because if she's truly trying to fool herself and not deal with a conscience, you might help her. If she breaks down and says, you know, no one told me this and this and I've been living with guilt, you could say, God knows that and he loves you and he waits to forgive you. And um, we have a way as Catholics to handle that. Um, But outside of the Catholic Church, you don't have the same means. But you could go to a Catholic priest and talk to him and let him assist you. That's what I would do with that. Okay, Bernadette, and everyone else, it's the ending music. I don't like that music when it comes on. Everything goes too quickly. But God bless you, dear one. Live your faith as if we have a hill to die on. Because if not, we will not have a a hill to live on. Speak with you tomorrow. God bless you.